Welcome to Five or Flop, a podcast for the best and worst historical fiction has to offer. I'm your host, Grace. And I'm Erin, and each week we'll be reading a different historical fiction book to see if there are five or a flop. The theme for season one is reading around the world, and today we're headed back to North America. And Grace, what are we reading? We are reading Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Hell yeah. But before we begin... What's new with you? We, as we are recording this, we have finished the entire season. Well, I don't mean to say we. I have finished I the have entire finished. season okay, of the Percy Jackson TV show, and I am very disappointed in it. I kind of agree with you, kind of don't agree with you. Mm-hmm. There are parts of it I really liked, parts of it I really didn't like. However, am I going to watch season two now that it's been officially renewed? Yeah. Oh, I am absolutely going to watch season two. I think that there is room for improvement. It Mm -hmm. is not a lost cause. Yeah. However, the musical is still by far and away the greatest adaptation of those books. Completely agree. Completely agree. I still hold true that Logan Learman should have been cast as Poseidon. Oh my gosh, yeah. I wanted that so bad. It would have been really stupid, but I would have wanted it anyway. It would have cracked me up. There was one tweet that I sent to you, and it was talking about the different depictions of Poseidon in each one. And it talked about how TV show Poseidon is just so fucking horny for his for Sally the entire time. It's the worst. It undercuts the messages of the book. It like, oh, whatever. Anyway, so I have been battling with that. I am disappointed. Maybe I should just reread the books to get back to my joy. If anyone does want to watch the musical, though, it recently um, I recently became aware that you can just watch it on YouTube oh, yeah, by searching where... Percy Jackson Lightning Thief Musical Full, and it will pop right up. So, I watched it a few years ago on YouTube. That's Did you see it, like, in person? I saw it on tour. Oh, really? Yeah, of course oh, I did. <laughs> I, I don't even think I knew it was a thing until, like, COVID times. See, the way that you are for Twilight, I am for Percy Jackson. Okay, but See, my Twilight renewed during COVID. Mine never went away. I was unfortunately very much a Harry Potter kid. And it's not something I like to talk about. It's sad because, like, that was my, like, that was my secondary thing. I was still really into that, just not to the level. Because I was primarily a Percy Jackson kid. Like, that was my full-time job. I got back into Harry Potter when I was, like, elementary and middle school age because... I had the flip where I loved Twilight, and then I was like, I can't love Twilight, blah, blah, blah. I'm not like other girls. No, I literally went to the Eclipse midnight premiere in a Team Potter shirt, (gasps) and I hate myself for it. Oh, man. This, I'm just out here embarrassing myself this week, huh? I just wish that I had been at the Eclipse Midnight premiere. That would have been so fun. It was a double feature with New Moon. It was lit. They don't do movie premieres like they used to back then. I think about that every so often, like thinking about like, the Hunger Games midnight premiere, mm-hmm. like the Deathly Hallows part two midnight premiere. Like that was a moment we in allowed, time. We weren't allowed to go to that one because it was school night. So my mom took us out of school early the next day to go. Oh my gosh. Really? Because she probably didn't want to stay up till fucking two in the morning walking that. But. Okay. Well, not a bad excuse. Girl boss for her though. It's true. All right. What about you? What's up with you this week? I am moving this weekend. Crazy. So still in D.C. I'm not going anywhere. My boyfriend and I are just moving in together. Um, Logan Circle, if any of our listeners are familiar with the D.C. area. I'm really stressed because I'm trying to pack and I own a lot of things. And I feel like in packing, I'm just piling shit on top of each other and there's nowhere to put it. So my room, the walkable space in my room is getting smaller and smaller by the minute. It's getting, it's shrinking down to the size of your dog. Yeah. And you do not have a large dog. No. And she is angry because she sees these boxes. She thinks I'm abandoning her. It's just stressful for everyone. But Saturday, it's going to be over. So we're going to see what happens. I don't know. We don't have our utility set up yet. We're going to see. Oh, man. Apparently the owner of, because it's a, we're renting out a condo. So the owner has it already, like had it done for showings and stuff. And then we're going to take over it. But I'm pretty sure there's going to be like a two day gap where we're not going to have electricity. That is very bad. I don't know yet. We'll have Wi-Fi. Well, at least you can edit the pod. Yeah, I can edit the pod. Okay. Do you have, like, are you reading, like, an analog book that you can read by, like, by candlelight when you don't have electricity? Currently, I actually just finished a book that we have some differing opinions on. (laughs) Unfortunately. People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. Um, Grace and I are now in our enemies era because I thought this book was terrible. I loved it. And Grace, for some reason, her favorite book, question mark? She gave it a five-star review, and we see how stingy Grace is with her fives. Okay, so here's the thing. Emily Henry's new book was not very good, but I loved all of the other ones. Okay, what was her new book? Uh, Happy Place. Okay, yeah, I haven't read anything else by her. Well, now you don't want to. No, now I'm not going to. The main character, Poppy, was just the most pick-me. I have... 
I don't know if I talked about this on the pod. My hatred of main characters when they're women and everyone just talks about how short they are the entire time. That is very that is a romance trope. You and, cannot get away from yeah, it. Yeah, and it's even worse when the she's short and wears bright colors, which was in this book. She's quirky. She's Rachel Berry. Okay, yeah, but I love Rachel Berry. I hated this chick. Rachel Berry would never. Rachel Berry would, actually, because she is a terrible person canonically. Okay, but so am I, so whatever. All right, Grace, what are you reading? Well, I just am about to crack open the very first book that we are doing for season two of the podcast. Okay, well, don't tell us the title because it's going to be a big reveal probably on our social media. But I'll drop a couple of hints to see if you guys can figure it out. Um, The cover is blue. Okay. <laughs> and the title is a sentence. Okay. So you can one, do with that what you will. I'm going to give another hint as well. This is one of the few books that we've read all the pods so far. And I think for a lot of season two as well, that has an adaptation. Ooh. So, and it is not Snowflower in the Secret Fan. Unfortunately, we wish we could read that again for the first time. So now maybe instead of skipping ahead to season two, we should get into Mexican Gothic. Yes, I know we have a lot of thoughts we want to share on this one. We do, we do. Do you want to kick us off with a synopsis? Let's go. After receiving a frantic letter from her newlywed cousin begging for someone to save her from a mysterious doom, Noemi Taboada heads to High Place, a distant house in the Mexican countryside. She's not sure what she will find. Her cousin's husband, a handsome Englishman, is a stranger, and Noemi knows little about the region. Noemi is also an unlikely rescuer. She's a glamorous debutante, and her chic gowns and perfect red lipstick are more suited for cocktail parties than amateur sleuthing. But she's also tough and smart with an indomitable will, and she is not afraid. Not of her cousin's new husband, who is both menacing and alluring. Not of his father, the ancient patriarch who seems to be fascinated by Noemi and not even of the house itself, which begins to invade Noemi's dreams with visions of blood and doom. Her only ally in this inhospitable abode is the family's youngest son. Shy and gentle, he seems to want to help Noemi, but might also be hiding dark knowledge of his family's past. For there are many secrets behind the high walls of High Place. The family's once colossal wealth and faded mining empire kept them from prying eyes, but as Noemi digs deeper, she unearths stories of violence and madness. And Noemi, mesmerized by the terrifying yet seductive world of High Place, may soon find it impossible to ever leave this enigmatic house behind. Ooh, spooky ghost time. Yes. This was a book that had gotten popular a few years back, right? Yes. This is, so that actually segues right into what I have to talk about about the author. So let me just go ahead. Uh, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia is a pretty popular author. She calls herself... Mexican by birth and Canadian by inclination, which I think is just cute. Yeah. So I included that. She <laughs> skipped right over the United States and went from Mexico to Canada. Why not? Um, and she has published 10 books so far, all her. fiction, but they vary They vary pretty widely in genre. Okay. So some of them are fantasy, some of them are horror, some of them are historical. Mexican Gothic kind of encompasses all three of those. Oh, nice. Yes. So it's a bit of a first for us on the pod that... It's not just a straight historical. There are other elements in there. Yeah, once I started reading this one, I remember texting you like, maybe it's not the best pod book. It's not real. But we're towards the end of the season. We're having some fun. Yeah. Well, actually, I feel like it definitely still counts because there are, we've read a couple of other books with slight magical realism elements. Chintu comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And this one had some interesting stuff for me to research, actually. So, yeah, I think it turned out. Um, Mexican Gothic, I think, is Sylvia Moreno-Garcia's most popular book, but she has a couple others that are real big bestsellers. Best ones are probably Gods of Jade and Shadow and Silver Nitrate, which is her newest book. I actually had some interest in that myself. I haven't read it yet, but Mm -hmm. it's been doing pretty well as far as I am aware. And this I did not know before. She is the publisher of a small micro press. It's called the Innsmouth Free Press. I didn't recognize most of the names of the authors that it published, but it mostly publishes monster novellas. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, kind That's of in the fitting. vein of Frankenstein-ish. Yeah. Fitting for this book, too. Yeah. You can see, like, by where looking her- at the rest of her oeuvre, that that would make sense You can see her. where her interest lies, yeah. Yes. And this was a fun little tidbit for me, that Mexican Gothic was actually optioned to be a series on Hulu in oh. 2020. It was supposed to be produced by Kelly Ripa. Which, of all people. I know. I was like, that is extremely random to me. Okay. Like, if you said that, like, Reese Witherspoon was making I'd Mexican like, yeah, Gothic. yeah, of course. Yeah. But I'm like, as far as I'm aware, has Kelly Ripa produced any TV? I don't know. I would I'm love to know. I'm going to this right now, but. All right. You can while I talk about it. Um, but I think I haven't seen any other buzz online about it that it is actually going forward and happening. It was optioned in 2020. 
So I wonder if the one-two punch of the pandemic and then the writer's strike and the actor's strike yeah. kind of killed it. I think it might get resurrected because, like I said, this book is still very popular. Like, if there's still a hold for it at the library, you can't just get it right off the shelves. And it came out before 2020. So it's still going really strong. Kelly Ripa was an executive producer on Fire Island. <laughs> Yeah, For real? Yes. It's okay. on IMDb. She doesn't really have like a lot, nothing in this genre. Okay. So this would be, this is her tiptoe or was going to be her tiptoe into Reese Witherspoon territory. Okay. Good to know. All good right. Know. Well, good for her. All right. I have not read anything else by this author. However, this book has been very much recommended to me by several different people. And just a little spoiler of what's to come in this episode. My question is why? Yeah, I... Like I said before, I haven't actually read any of her other books, but I did want to read Silver Nitrate. The plot of that was interesting to me. What's that one about, if you can give us a brief? It's a horror, and it's about, I don't remember the exact details, but it's kind of set in the same era as Mexican Gothic, where it's talking about, like, old Mexican uh, filmmaking. Oh, And it's, it's about finding and finishing this old unpublished movie and, like, the physical film of oh, it is, wow. like, haunted or something like that. Ooh. It seemed like a really interesting and good idea. Loki, that's kind of the plot line of a Supernatural episode, if I'm remembering correctly. They're on, like, a haunted film set, but the film set is actually ha- I don't know. Okay, well. I'm trying to get Santiago to watch all of um, Supernatural with Oh, him. and he's been resisting as he should. As he should. What a liar. That show he is should. so long. Okay, I love it. I said I said to him when we were driving the other day, I'm like, let's at least watch the first five seasons. And he goes, the first five seasons? <laughs> yeah, I think you're going to have to keep working a little harder to get him no to agree to that. No one will ever watch that show with me. I just have to keep watching it alone. Well, yes. Anyway, so I haven't read anything else by her. I did want to read Silver Nitrate. But kind of like you, this book has left me wondering if I am willing to do that. Yeah, I don't think I'm committed enough. Yeah. So before we hop right in, let's give our usual disclaimer. We're judging strictly based on the book and not any real people or real historical events they might have been based on. We're presenting the story as Silvia Moreno-Garcia has told it to us. And also we are presenting it with full spoilers ahead. Yes. So if you want to read the book, go back, pause the episode, come back at a later point in time. Yes. And I think I've said this several times now, but I might mean it this time, that this might be our most popular book of the season. This and the henna artist are probably probably neck and neck for most people having read them. Yeah, I would agree. And funny enough, because Hannah Artis was a Wreath Witherspoon pick, right? It was, indeed. Love that. And my copy of Mexican Gothic does not indicate that it is. But if it was like a, if it was like an Oprah's book club or like a Reads with Jenna or something, let us know. Okay. um, Where do we want to start? Well, maybe let's start with the characters. Okay. So I had beef with the characters in this, and it kind of is a step down from, I'll compare it again to the henna artist, where we said a lot of the side characters were pretty sketched in. Yeah. And I would say that that applies to Mexican Gothic, but the thing is the main character also is kind of sketched in. At least in the henna artist, we had Lakshmi as a redeeming main character. Like we both, she she was the strongest point of the book for her, I yes. believe both of us. Yes. Not the case here. No. Each character in Mexican Gothic is assigned one personality trait. Uh, the main character is Noemi and her personality trait <laughs> is socialite. Hers is, it literally says in the summary, pretty dresses, red lipstick. That's her personality. Perhaps her only crime was to be an independent woman. Literally, this is so the spy coded. Yeah. I, like, there's even one part where she gets to the creepy house and they're asking after her health or whatever. And she's like, oh, my darlings, I'm scandalously healthy. And it's like, that's because that's the only way that you know that, it, that you think a socialite would talk. Yeah, it was very cringy stereotype of a socialite. Yes. So Noemi, her personality trait is socialite. At the beginning, very briefly, we meet her father, only for one chapter. His personality trait is father. Yes. Uh, Father with a capital F. Yes. She gets to the creepy house, and there is the father and two brothers, and their personality traits... Were they brothers or cousins? They they were cousins. You were right. Okay. Yeah. We they, don't know. We we're don't pausing remember, for a long honestly. time because that was, honestly, we don't know. Honestly, these characters were so interchangeable. I think they were cousins. They might have been brothers. It really does not matter. Well, the one of them was between the father and the two younger men, their personality traits were um, evil, parentheses, ugly, yes. evil, parentheses, handsome, and good, parentheses, handsome. Yes. And that was it. And then there was one creepy old woman and her personality trait was creepy old woman. 
Very matronly. And then the kickoff for the whole plot, basically, is that Noemi's... Oh, and then there's the cousin, Sickly. Yeah. Noemi's cousin, Catalina. That's the whole kickoff for the plot. Noemi lives in Mexico City. She's living up her socialite life. She's partying. She's she's... like, I don't know, getting a million degrees because she can't make up her mind, which is so me-coded. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Smart queen. (laughs) We'll go into that a little later. Um, But her father says, your cousin Catalina has written, and I'm really concerned for her because she's just married and we don't know her husband very well. So I think you need to go check to make sure she's okay. And this part of the book, actually, I really did like. I thought it was funny. Like, Silvia Moreno-Garcia really went there, and I thought it worked. The father is like, look at this letter that Catalina has written us. And you think that it would just be like reading between the lines, and you're like, oh, she doesn't seem well. But the letter is like, they're in the walls. Like, please. <laughs> I really, the I ghosts wish, are in the walls. <laughs> I wish we had gotten more of that energy throughout the entire book, because I did love that. Honestly, I was like, oh, so we're going like right to it. I was very excited from the start of the book. Yeah. Didn't and, last long. Yeah, well, and then the father is like, clearly she needs to see some kind of psychologist, but she married stuffy English people, so can you go and, like, go get her and bring her home so we can make sure she's okay? Yeah, and the English people are trying to say it's, like, tuberculosis, right? Yeah, they're like, she's just sick and she's recovering, but we have a family doctor and he knows best, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like, they won't let her go. But Noemi says, okay, I'll go and get her. She goes to the house. When you start this book, you know what you are getting. It is very clearly a creepy house story. Yes, it's Haunting of Hill House to the extreme. Exactly. And you're supposed to have the atmosphere of the house. It should be, like, oppressive. It should be creepy at all times. You know what I think of? What I think of doing it successfully, and this is going to be a really weird comparison, but stick with me. Okay. You know the Beauty and the Beast sequel? The Christmas, the Christmas one? one? With the terrifying organ. <gasps> and it's just this presence that looms over. Th- I used to be yes. so scared of that movie as a kid. That's what I want from my creepy house. Oh my God, the organ was so scary. So scary. The thing is, should be like with these books, because we as the audience know that the house is haunted. Yeah. Like even at the beginning when Noemi is just like walking around and being like, these people are a little weird, but we know like nothing else. Yeah. We should be terrified reading the book because we know something is coming and we just don't know when. Yes. But this is the biggest thing in this book was that we were always the whole time we're being told and not shown. That I think is my biggest everything I think boils down to that issue is the actual writing itself. Mm-hmm. Because I think the idea of the story is good. It could work. Yeah. I have some other qualms I'll get to later with the idea of the story. Mm-hmm. But the actual writing itself was bad writing. Mm-hmm. It was so, like, just telling us what was happening, troping these characters. It was pretty much what not to do in creative writing 101. Yeah. And if it was even, like, if the house was more of a character, it would have made up for the the characters not being that, you know, not being characters. Agreed. Because even in some of them... The cousin who was good parentheses handsome, his name was Francis. I saw like a lot of potential in that character to be developed into something. Mm-hmm. And I think had the setting been stronger around it, it could have helped some of those shortcomings along a little bit. His only point, well, there's a weird romantic arc kind of in the style of Cartographer's Secret, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But other than that, his entire point was just to explain things. Yeah. He was the character that shows up at the beginning of a new video game and shows you around the world, quote unquote, yeah. which basically just means like, press the A button to talk to people. Yeah. This guy was like, don't breathe inside the house. You'll breathe in the evil mushroom spores. Yeah. So let's let's get into what makes the house haunted now. Okay. And because I was kind of confused. I, I think I got it while I was reading it, but it's been a while since I've read it. So I think I've, it's all gone out of my head. Okay. Well, first of all, we find out what's wrong with the house way too late in the game. Oh, it was like, we had like, what, 50 pages left maybe? Yeah. There's so many, like, I would say 200 pages. Of just of, nothing. Of Noemi just like wandering around the house being like, there's something wrong with this house. <laughs> I can't put my finger on it, but something's wrong with this house. Me when um, I hear the mice scratching in the walls at your house. Oh my God, please don't talk about that. <laughs> um, and then at the end, we get this insane info dump through like magic. It's, I don't know. But basically when this this English family came to Mexico, fleeing England, I forget why. Because they were, like people were suspicious of them in England. Because they were weird and creepy and like yeah. murdering. Yeah. So they come to Mexico, they open up a a silver mine. They find out that there are these like mushrooms that the silver miners are eating that will prolong their lives. But they're just eating them normally. So basically it like, it has the effect of medicine. Yeah. But the evil English people find out that if you 
feed someone the mushrooms and then you kill and eat them, you will live forever, essentially. Maybe not forever, but for like an extremely long time. So they have like one of their daughters is like they kill her and use their body to grow more mushrooms. Yeah. And so then they are living forever, but the family is weak because it's inbred. So they need to bring in people from the outside. But they're not sure that people from the outside will like react as well to the mushroom and they like take over each other's bodies and stuff yeah so for technical reasons that aren't important the result of this at the end is that noemi is going to be forcibly married to the to francis yes to good parentheses handsome and made to have his children and then the evil patriarch father is going to like shed his old crippled body and Mm -hmm. then inhabit the young new one and they'll continue the family line that way. Yes, I think. Yes. This is not explained well, and no. it's explained very late in the game. You can tell we're both kind of confused. Yeah, I think the idea of it being, like, mushroom-based is honestly not a bad idea. Because, like, we've watched The Last of Us. Mushrooms are creepy. Yeah. But all of this, they also have what is essentially, like, the cloud. They can all, like, remember each other's memories and see each <laughs> other's like thoughts. Cloud. Because they've all had the mushrooms, and the mushrooms are, like, in the air inside the house. Yeah. Which is why Catalina hears ghosts in the walls. Because it's, like, making her crazy. Yeah. So the family has, like, completely unfettered access to tap into all of this. But because Catalina and Noemi are from outside, they are, like, breathing in the mushrooms newly. So it's not, like, fully inhabiting their whole bodies, I guess. Yes. Yeah. I think you did a good job explaining that. Yeah, you you have nothing to rebut what I just said because you're like, <laughs> wow. I didn't understand it the first I time. I know. I And then there was something all the miners wound up dying or like Oh yeah, they killed them so that because they wouldn't their secret wouldn't get it. I don't know. They killed them so they could have full control of the mushrooms, I think. Because they had a yeah. leader who was like a like a oh, pastor. He was like a revolutionary who was trying to like do something about the family and they like killed him. Yeah. So it's kind of a combo. She's Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Again, this is like a good impulse that I enjoyed. I don't think the writing was strong enough to shore it up to pair this fantastical conflict, which is the English people taking over these mushrooms to use them for evil instead of good, and pairing that with they were the owners of the silver mine and the Mexican mine workers were striking for better yeah. conditions. So those two things were going hand in hand, which I think was a good idea. Yes, I do too. I don't think it was executed well at all. No. However, I will say about the fungi, I do have in my notes, and I, this was the only thing I could think of while reading it. Fungi that makes you immortal, beach that makes you old. I laughed so hard <laughs> reading that in your notes. That's all I could think about. I literally said out loud, this is just like the beach that makes you old. I love the beach that makes you old. <laughs> I'm so glad we got to name drop it in this episode about Mexican Gothic. No, for real, it's like not... I don't, and frankly, in fantasy stories or in horror stories like this, when there's something new and weird like this, frankly, most of the time, I would prefer that they not explain it. I am always here for, no, you're making a face with me. (laughs) I am here for like, this is a mushroom. It is magic. If you eat it, you will live longer. I'm like, fine. You don't need to tell me how it got that way. Like, I will just accept that this magic mushroom exists. Like, I am perfectly fine to do that. But all of the like people motivations... I need those. Yes. Okay. I see where you're going. Yeah. Okay. So it was just too much unexplained stuff. And then not only, maybe now is a decent time to talk about the ending. We can go with the ending and then I have some comparisons. I we can jump back in, in time a little bit, but I feel like it segues nicely here. So the way that they escape the house, because basically they're like, once the mushrooms get into your system, they don't let you leave the house. It's very mind control-y. Like, it's very um, Haunting of Hill House. The bl- And I don't know which came out first. The, I keep making comparisons. I don't know if the Haunting of Hill House had any influence on this or vice versa, but the mold in the Haunting of Hill House that makes you basically go nuts and stay there. Yes. It's kind of the same. It's the same concept. And I don't think that's like stealing. I think that's no, like I a don't very think it basic is, but... concept. But then they, like I said, they had one like female family member that they had, they use her body to grow the mushrooms out of. And Noemi just literally lights her on fire and then they all die immediately. Yeah. And that then seemed, it was like, except for the nice one. It was very easy. I could not believe. I was like, no one had ever thought of that. I get that the family members were either evil or mind controlled. So they weren't going to yeah. do it. So fine. None of the Mexican women that they were bringing in to have babies and then be eaten thought yeah. of that. That seemed like so 
It seems so easy. It was not hard. And then even at the end, Noemi and Francis get out. They escape from the house. But Francis is like, I grew up in the house. I never left the house until now. I have the mushroom spores inside of my body. I think I should kill myself because then I like all of them will be destroyed and they'll never spread anywhere again. Yes. And you're and honestly I was kind of reading that and I was like maybe you should. Like that yeah, sounds right. really bad. <laughs> like I don't think you should I'm not going to be happy about it but like maybe you should. Yeah. And then Noemi is basically just eh, it'll be fine. Yeah, I she for for someone who's supposed to be so smart, she's not smart. No. And we say that, like, she is characterized as being smart because she's getting an anthropology degree, and she talks about that a lot. She also plays instruments. Yeah, she plays the piano. Yes. Yeah, the piano. So she is demonstrably smart. Mm -hmm. But, and I mean, I guess she's the first one to figure out that she should just literally burn down the center of the evil, and then it will be defeated. So good for her. While we're on the topic of grimy stuff happening in this book, i.e. cannibalism, burning bodies, etc., Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the grimy, like, sexual, uh, incest, uh, eugenics stuff. Eugenics is a very heavy theme in this book. Which, for me, like, this book was set in the 50s. Mm -hmm. So this was, like, post-World War II, all of the... All of, like, the information of World War II was, like, public and... We knew about, like, the Nazi experiments Yeah, we knew about all point. of that. So it just... Noemi didn't really react to the eugenic stuff at all. She just kind yeah. of kept the conversation going and didn't really, like, think anything of it. And I'm like, if all this stuff is probably, like... I kind of wanted more of that global tie-in, of that global context of, wouldn't you have some sort of, like, gut reaction with someone just starts talking eugenics to you? Yeah. Especially, and I, like, in the immediate aftermath of all of this? Yeah, and honestly, this this is interesting. Because I can see if you were, like, a woman by yourself in this creepy house with this weird family, and the guy starts talk, the patriarch starts talking about eugenics, that you're just like, hee hee hee, okay, yes, um, but I move on. but you would on. go back and think about it later. Or, and I don't think she did. Well, also, it is so at odds with, like, the little bit of characterization that she has. Yeah. Which is spunky, essentially. Oh, spunky, yes. Yeah. So, like, and even, I have this to talk about later, and I think this is a great thing that Sylvia Moreno-Garcia did. At two different points, she, in conversation, Noemi cites two different anthropologists, professors, like, names them by name. And I thought that was really good, but she didn't, those were just kind of brief blips. Like, they weren't worked into the story in a substantial way way to tie into that theme of eugenics. And as someone who studies anthropology, not just well beyond World War II, just like all of eugenics the history. And history, yeah, she would, of course, I'm sure, have some sort of gut reaction that even in the moment, if she's too scared to say anything, fine, understandable. She goes back to her room and she like doesn't even reflect on it. Yeah. Like just moves on. Yeah. It's kind of the same with the theme in this book, which is the same with eugenics, like pretty baked into the, the story representing the themes that Sylvia Moreno-Garcia clearly wanted to talk about regarding colonialism and the theme of sexual violence. Yes. Because Catalina and Noemi are these Mexican women brought in to basically be incubators against their will for this evil English family. But there's that level of it's present in the plot. And then there's also multiple parts where the evil cousin is basically just like, okay, well, I'm just going to assault you right here, right now. Yeah. As like a means of intimidation. And it was very out of the blue and not on the level of the themes of the story, which I think were were being taken on like global level. Like obviously these characters are representations of colonialism. Mm -hmm. But that I was just like, this is just very out of the blue and like very strong and very strange and doesn't really match the tone that these kinds of stories normally have Mm -hmm. where the threat is coming like not from the people necessarily, but the way that the house is like working through the people. Yeah, it seemed at odds. The atmosphere was not where it needed to be, and it that taints the rest of the story. I agree. Mm-hmm. Is now a good time to talk about the romance? Yeah, why not? Okay. There's never a good time to talk about the romance, but sure. Honestly, it was the exact same as the romance in the cartographer's secret. It, it was so pointless. To, it didn't need to be there. Yeah. So it was at, another plot point of bringing in... In Cartographer's Secret, the guy basically brought in the thing like, oh, they could get married, so then the land could be, you know, shared. It was a convenience for plot purposes. As it was here, because Francis was just, he knew what was going on, and he was able to help them get out of the house, so it was convenient. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, even for this, in Cartographer's Secret, 
if those two characters had just been like friends, the plot wouldn't have worked out that way because she had to marry him to co-own the land. Yeah, so it even made more sense. Not the yeah. cartographer's secret making more sense than this. That is not a compliment. Yeah, but in this book, the idea of an outsider from the family rescuing someone who thought he was a lost cause and was uh-huh. doomed to die in the house... That's great. Could I, have been done with. I would a love that. They did not need to fall in love. It I would have liked so it better strained. without a romance. And they set up the romance by being like at the beginning, Noemi has a guy that she is dumping to show that she it's goes single. through men often, and she's like, oh. I've been to like four dances with Hugo and now I'm bored by him, which is fine. Cute. Go girl. Uh But that's to tee up. Oh, it'll be like even more impactful later when she falls in love. But she does not. Much like the characters and people we meet on vacation. They were meant to be. There was no chemistry. They were meant to be. That's a lie. Stop it. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. They didn't even have any conversations about anything other than exposition. Yeah, no. So he, when he they really had was to... like he really was the video game guy telling us what it's like, you know, in the Bratz video game and that one clip that keeps going viral that is like, ah, I wish I wasn't sad enough to just follow this arrow to the smoothie bar. Oh my god. <laughs> Darn, I wish I didn't have to live in my evil house forever. <laughs> yeah, I the romance was not we haven't read like a bunch of romances this season, I don't think. No, not really. But the ones, we've had a couple where they just didn't need to be there. I know. And even when there's a romance in a book that's not necessary to the plot, if it's well executed, you enjoy it. But neither of these were both just like, why are these here? I don't know. The the relationships, none of the other relationships were strong either in this book. No. Like we said, the cousin is, she kicks off the whole plot, but she like basically doesn't exist. She's barely in the book. Yeah, it matters not at all that she's no. there. I see in our notes we both have a couple comparisons to make to other works of books, media, etc. We do. Do you want to get started? Because I got a list to go through. Okay, I have one, and it came to mind. And honestly, this is this is a point of contention between us. This is like the meanest thing I can say about a book. It reminded me of the girl with the dragon tattoo. And I'm someone who loved that book. See, so. the girl with the dragon tattoo is my people we meet on vacation. Okay. I will say, in Mexican Gothic's favor. I did not like this book. I actively hate Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Sorry, Erin. It's okay. Um, But what I mean by that is that it is boring most of the time. Like, nothing is happening for most of the book. But whenever something is happening, that thing is disgusting. So, like, with Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So, for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, like it or not, it's, you know, a mystery. There's, like, an investigation whatever. Horrifically graphic scenes. Yeah. Like, 90% of the beginning, there's, like, a couple blips, but it's mostly just kind of nothing happening. Yeah. And then at the end, it's, like, the most graphic, disgusting descriptions of anything that you have ever read. I understand what you're saying now. Yeah. And it's the same with this. This is not a long book. It's a 300-page book. 200 pages plus. Nothing happens. And then at the end, you're getting all of this eugenics, mushroom, murder, cannibalism, rape stuff. Fun guy that makes you immortal. Yeah. That makes you old. And it's just packed in so, so tightly. Like, it's not even... It was whiplash reading the last... I think it took me a while to read this book, but the last 50 pages, I feel like I finished it in like five seconds. Yeah. Because it was just going so fast. The pacing of this book was just off. Yeah. Much like the pacing of the Percy Jackson TV show. But the pacing was just like not correct. There's lots of like... Creative writing 101 things that are off with this book. Yeah, just like the chart with the rising action, climax, falling action. Like, I think Sylvia could use one of those. I think, this sounds mean, but I think a lot of why this book got so popular is because the cover's pretty. Yeah, the cover's pretty. I was deceived. I I always judge a book by the cover, and I pick out pretty books all the time to read. And when I pick this one up, I'm like, this is going to be so fucking good. No. The Spy had a beautiful cover. The Spy, that's why I got it at the little free library. The outside does not reflect the inside. No. Okay, what are your comparisons? Okay, so for me, this goes down to what my biggest issues were with this book. Okay. And that was, it was, reminded me too much of other things, but everything it reminded me of was done much better. Yes. So, as I've already talked about The Haunting of Hill House, which did come out a few years before this, so it does make me wonder a little bit. Not accusing anyone of anything, but makes me wonder about the influence. It reminded me too much of Haunting of the Hill House. Hill House was way better. Their Mm -hmm. creepy house, that house was scary. I screamed watching that show. I had to watch it with the lights on. But it's done better. Like, this one was just... The house was not scary. For all we say about, like, the characters are flat, the romance is unnecessary, the pacing is poor, like, blah, blah, blah... 
Obviously, all of those things are problems, but the number one problem in this book is that the house wasn't scary. Yeah, You just do not get enough about the house. It's Nothing even needs to happen. It's just atmospheric. It should be there. And you're not getting any of that. And that's the the linchpin of stories like this. However, the biggest comparison I want to make, and I don't know if this is something that you're familiar with, in the broader sense I know you are, but the specific one, no. The Nancy Drew video games. No. Specifically, The Curse of Blackmore Manor. Okay, elaborate. Almost the fucking same plot here. So, obviously... (laughs) Are there mushrooms? No, obviously it's Nancy Drew, so it's nothing, like, magical, nothing like that. But Nancy's called because her friend is very sickly and they don't know what's wrong and she's all contained to herself to this creepy, spooky house from, like, the 1600s England and Nancy has to go sleuthing around to figure out what's wrong. Okay, so I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey that you took me on earlier talking about the Beauty and the Beast Christmas sequel. Okay. This is exactly like how all of these book talk books are coming out that are like purporting to be original romance novels, but actually they are rewritten Star Wars Raylo fan fiction. God. If this book actually turned out to be (laughs) Nancy Drew video game fan fiction. I know a lot. I'm Googling. Sorry. I know a lot of Nancy Drew games are based on books. Yeah, it probably was just the Nancy Drew book. Yeah, The Curse of Blackmore Manor. The game is loosely based on a different book. Okay, so no. So it's a specific game. However, it is so similar. Like, I... Data scientist Ashley is big into Nancy Drew games. I believe I texted her while I was reading this, and I'm like, this is the exact same thing as The Curse of Blackmore Manor, except The Curse of Blackmore Manor was so much better. But another thing to compare this to was another, actually another data sign to Ashley, and another fun guy book. It's called What Moves the Dead by T. Kingfisher. Oh, I think I have heard of that. Data scientist Ashley made me read it, so she probably tried to get you to read it too. That one also wasn't good. Sorry, Ashley. Oh, But that rip. one was a take of the Fall of the House of Usher, oh. but it like, has to do with mushrooms and fungi and stuff. Okay. Like very similar kind of. But like better that's than this. another... I rated that a 2.75, which is only slightly higher than I okay. this. So not really. On par. I didn't like it either. But just there's so... And then The Last of Us, I was thinking of that, which does the fun guy so much Mushrooms. Better. There's just so many other things so similar to this story that are so much better than this. Yeah. And I think that that's the problem. That's the weakness with doing this type of story, which is she's taking... Sylvia Moreno-Garcia knows that she's taking a tried-and-true formula, which is the gothic novel. It's the Mexican gothic. It's the title. She's not shying away from that. Mm -hmm. And she's applying this new lens to it, which is the view of the colonialism of Mexico. Yes. And just the concept of colonialism in general. I think she's making a lot of broad claims here. Mm -hmm. But because she is using a formula that so many other people have used to its maximum... And successfully. Yeah, that exposes the weaknesses in the book that she has written. You put this so much more eloquently than I did. I'm just sitting here saying Nancy Drew was way better than this. <laughs> well, honestly, I'm kind of like shocked because I looked into this and I have seen like almost nothing negative about this book. No, I've never Like you and I are the crazy movie. ones. Yeah, we are the unpopular are we the flops? Yeah. We have I mean, the unpopular opinions here. I just there's so many other works of media that have so many overlaps that are just a million times better. Yeah. I think if you want to go for a scary story, there's there are better places to go. And I don't even know if, like, maybe her other books are better. I'm not sure. I haven't read them. But this is, this is not the one. The one thing I will say, and my most positive note, which isn't really even a positive note, is that I think this would have worked a lot better visually if this yes. was a t- Kelly Ripa if you want to pick this back up if this was a TV show or a movie because then I feel like we could really dig into flashbacks with the miners and the revolution and the colonialism and all of that and the layers of it would just build so much more rather than in a novel from one person's perspective yes and I think honestly film language you know composition of shots and lighting and cinematography and all that could do so much to lend the house just like a creepy atmosphere agree I think that would already do so much to improve so i don't know if kelly ripa is going to put this project back on the docket i don't know if it's dead i feel like it would get picked up again because this book still is very popular yeah we said it's still going it's still on bestseller lists and all of that no one dislikes this but us yeah we're the only haters drinking the haterade so i think that you're right like it would do i think it would do well as a film 
And I think I would like it better. Yeah, and I think if people just got to, like, if screenwriters attacked it and smoothed out some of the pacing issues and, and fleshed really out the central cast. character. Yeah. Like, it's kind of honestly, like we said for Henna Artist, Lakshmi being such a good central character really lifted the whole story up. Mm-hmm. I think that if Noemi was a stronger character and more complex as a character, yeah. it would do a lot for the success of Mexican Gothic. I agree. Yeah. All right, you want to get into some of the history? I know it, it is a historical fiction. We focused a lot on the horror and the magical realism yeah. elements. Not even magical realism, just straight fantasy, I would yeah. say. But let's get into some of the history. Yes, yeah, so actually I liked what I found for this. I was a little bit surprised by some of it, but I had fun researching it. I think I texted you that. I was like, this is better better than reading the book Like to me, me last week with Shinto. Yeah, exactly like last week. So... But these things are kind of a little bit more minor in the way that they play into the story, but I think they're still important. So first of all, in the back of the book, I read the author's note, Silvia Moreno-Garcia references the town of Real de Monte, which Mm -hmm. is a real Mexican town. And I did some research about uh, mining towns in Mexico, and specifically that one. And what came up were there are two towns. One is Pachuca and one is Real de Monte. Mm -hmm. And they are Mexican gold and silver mining communities. Oh, okay. Just like in the book, the creepy English people have a silver mine. But in these two towns, they are famous for they imported miners from Cornwall in England. Okay. So I was like, oh, this tracks like English people, but not... Not any old English people, Cornish people specifically. Okay. And the thing is, I was like, okay, I was ready because of the book to hear a story about colonization, about how the English people came and they took the silver from these towns. Yeah, but actually, Cornwall was really famous for the for its mining technology. Oh. They have a lot of tin mines. Oh. So basically these Real de Monte called Cornwall and was like, we would like to bring over some of your mining equipment and some of your miners. So they were fascinating. Yeah, they were asked to come. Oh. Yeah. So they this was in the early 19th century. So the, you know, 1800s. Snowflower times. Snowflower times. Exactly. If you want to know what's wondering on the other what's going on on the other half of the world. Yeah. So at first uh, Cornish miners came over, set up these mines, started working them. They were, like I said, asked to come. Uh And then later Cornet more workers came over to Mexico because the Cornish tin mines were getting shut down and they didn't have anywhere else to go. Mm -hmm. But they already had this kind of Cornish community in Mexico, so that was a place for them to go. So now there's this, like, these two towns in Mexico that are just these little, like, cultural fusion English-Mexican towns. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it seems very cute to me. (laughs) Like, they have introduced the Cornish pasty to Mexico and they're like obsessed with it. Okay. They play they play football together. Oh my they god. They have a cultural society and a cultural festival. That's really like, nice. I know. In this book you're reading about colonialism, which obviously like Mexico was colonized. Yeah. But in the case of these silver miners, it seems like actually a really good example of how the global community can like share with each other. Yeah. So, and then this was just like a teeny little tidbit. So I don't even know if this was something that was on Silvia Moreno Garcia's mind. But in 1825 was the year that they brought the mining equipment over. Okay. And they hiked it through this like long walk. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the Cornish miners died on this walk from this swamp illness where they were like throwing up black and then they would die. Sounds like fungus So I'm to like, me. I don't know if that's like a creepy thing. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I actually had a fun time Googling about that and being like, okay, so like, did the English people just take over this town and like kick out all of the Mexican people or something? Or like, you know, kill them in a yeah. rit- ritualistic mushroom ceremony? <laughs> and they were like, no, they play football and eat pastries together. Okay, I mean, well, I'm glad it's not the mushroom killing. No, for real. This honestly seems, I don't know, it seems like people are people are happy with enough with this situation. So, yeah, interesting to have this cute little Cornish community in in Mexico. Uh, But the other thing that I looked up was earlier I said that Noemi name-dropped two professors in her, like, discussion of her degrees. Mm -hmm. So, and I looked them up, and they are both real people, especially because the first time she said, like, oh, I found this guy's paper and then just mentioned his last name. So I was like, that could have easily been made up. Okay. But the second time, okay. she said very specifically, oh, Professor Rhine from Duke. 
And I was like, oh, that must be a real person. Yeah, that's got If you name drop the school. Exactly. I was like, anyway. Also, not Duke. I know. Well. I win my brief living in North Carolina stint. I did go to USC Chapel Hill, so. Well, no one likes Duke unless you go to Duke. Duke is a pretty campus, though. Well, whatever. <laughs> so the first one is Manuel Gamio. And he was an anthropologist and professor, and he is one of the leaders of the indigenismo, indigenismo. movement. Indigenismo. Sorry, that's just like a lot of vowels for me no, to wrap I, my mouth good, around. Which is a Latin American political movement, which basically says that the native people should have a strong role in the governance of their country, whether that is sounds right. Well, you know, and whether that is, I think there was some differing opinions on whether that's part of the like state government. Or if the government of the state should just respect the self-governing, like, structures okay. that they had already set up amongst themselves. So Noemi cites him talking about eugenics. Basically, the English people is like, we need to have our own, like, gene pool or whatever. That's survival of the fittest, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And Noemi is like, well, these indigenous people were surviving very well before we all came, before you all came over here. Fair. Yeah. So good point. This seems like a good guy. Like, he seemed very successful and achieved a lot for his movement. He was very popular and I think very well respected. Mm-hmm. And But honestly, he was, like, pretty normal. Uh, J.B. Ryan from Duke was crazy. He was fun to look up because <laughs> that guy was nuts. Yeah? So he was the father of a field called parapsychology. And para- Oh, why have I heard of this? Because parapsychology is, quote unquote, a field of psychic phenomena, which means things like telepathy and seeing ghosts and like stuff As- like that. It's because I love Supernatural. That's why I heard of it. <laughs> so basically at this time, he wasn't the first person to do this, but he named it parapsychology. So he like coined that term. Okay. And there was a parapsychology department at Duke. It was the oh. second in the country. There was one at Stanford, which also was crazy. But basically he was just like studying all of this stuff that we think is like you can either believe it or not, but he was treating it like as science. Okay. Uh, and Noemi also brought this up basically because she was like, there's ghosts in this house, um, <laughs> which there patently were. And then the family is like, that's ridiculous. Like science says there's no ghosts. Science says no. Um, and she was like, well, actually, J.B. Ryan at Duke wrote this paper saying it's possible that you she can put like seats on their ass. Yeah. So she brought at first I forgot exactly what mention he had. And I wondered if like the creepy family brought him up to cite something. But no, I was like, no, Amy brought him up. But unfortunately, now uh, parapsychology does not really exist as a field of science in the United States anymore because it was kind of silly that it was one in the first place. I don't think it's silly. I think it's great. I think that if you want to believe in ghosts, I am not going to stop you. And that is perfectly a fine thing to believe. But I don't know if you can scientifically study whether or not there are ghosts. Okay, that's fair. Okay. I I accept that. Yeah. So I think maybe you can't be a doctor of, is there telepathy? Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I want to be a doctor of, is there telepathy? I mean, if you want to get a PhD and call it whatever you want, you can. I'm not going to stop you. But yeah, those are my, like I said, just kind of two little things uh, the history of I the like that town that was woven in. Yeah, like I said, I think it was none of this was too heavy, but I liked that it was there. I liked the touch of the specific names of the professors being mentioned. Mm-hmm. I I had a fun time. Okay, that's yeah. good. I'm glad. So should we get into our star calculator? I think we should. Then let's do it. Okay, so as you know, our star calculator is created by data scientist Ashley, our favorite listener. JK, you're all our favorites. Based on the categories of historical accuracy, vibes, prose, originality, and characters. I guess I can get started. Go ahead. Character. I'm going to go backwards this time. Characters, one. Flops. Originality, one. Also bad. I've read slash played video games slash watched Beauty and the Beast adaptations that are better than this one. Prose, one. Not good prose. Um, vibes one. The vibes are really bad. However, historical accuracy, I'm going to give it a three because I feel like it had a lot of good elements, a lot of strengths, but then it seems like the minor town is kind of interesting. The facts that you brought in that they kind of like lived in peace. Mm -hmm. So kind of mid ranking. So that's a final ranking of 1.4, which is actually a lot lower than what I initially gave it on Goodreads, uh, not on Goodreads, excuse me. It's a Never lot, on Goodreads. It's funny because that's actually a lot lower than what I gave it on Storygraph, which was a 
So I think just talking through the issues of this book enlightened me. Are you going to maybe edit that down? Yes, I am. I'm going to give it a solid 1.5. Okay. Well, now... This might be one of my lowest reviews on the... That's lower than The Cartographer's Secret. Okay, then you need to lower that one, too. Because this book was... I Maybe you think it was worse. We'll I find like out. The Cartographer's Secret better. There was a dog Ooh. in that one. <laughs> Not there was a dog. Well, we'll find out next week what we think of all yes. of the books in order. Let's hop into mine. So for historical accuracy, I'm giving it a two because honestly, there was not that much woven in and some of what was there, what was the content of the book didn't lead me to what I expected to find out about the real town. Yes. That is why I docked two points off. Yeah. So I just feel like maybe there wasn't enough there for it to warrant a three from me. So we're going to give it a two. If I can jump in real fast, I think why I gave it a three was because it was cross-genre, so the history mattered less for me. That's true. You're and I right. liked, like, the little, like, anthropology details woven yes. in there. Agree. Vibes, too. They were very poor. I'm kind of giving it credit for, I don't know, that they should be there, but they're not. Okay, hang on. I'm going to change my little... I'm going to give vibes a two because the cover was great vibes. <laughs> Listen, that's my part of the... My ranking is now a 1.6. That's part of the package. You can't discount the cover. Pros, two. It was very basic. Uh, this is where we differ. Originality, I'm giving it a four. Because I think the concept of the story, if it really had been like a Southern Gothic novel transported to Mexico about colonialism, I think that would have been great. Like, it sounds great. But that's not what it was. Well, that's why people like this book so much is because that's what the idea is. And it, like that is book. what it is. It's just poorly executed. People like this book because they haven't played Nancy Drew in The Curse of Black Manor. <laughs> okay, anyway. Uh, and characters one, you're right, because there, like, basically aren't any. There are a bunch of cardboard cutouts. However, Noemi with the red lipstick, slay. <laughs> Go queen. There are a lot of descriptions of her clothes, which we didn't get into. Like, the third or fourth time it happened, I was like, are you seriously giving me a description of her outfit right now? And then she's like, I really should be wearing gloves with this dress, but no one's going to care out here. And I'm like, I don't care as a reader. Well, yeah, you're going to die, Noemi. Like, do whatever (laughs) you want. Um, So characters one. That's an average of a 2.2. I give it a 2.75. Uh, So it probably could be a little bit lower. But so we kind of we kind of mid- middled out in there. Yeah. We so resoundingly this is a flop. This is a flop. This is a no contest flop. Yeah. And that I bet some of you who are listening, if you've read this book before, you were probably not expecting that. Because like I said, I don't know anyone else who doesn't like this book. People have raved about this book to me. And if you disagree with us, please let us know. Like comment to our comments, yes. email us. I want to know why. Give us the rebuttals. Like we want to hear it. I love to be proven wrong when there's an argument against me. So, on opinions like this... I will make my PowerPoint about why people we meet on vacation is good, actually. <laughs> Maybe you, that can be a bonus. And you can make me one for Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. It's true. It's true. All right. Grace, last episode of the season is next week. And our, what is it? Our big finale. It is The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton. And we mean literally big. This book was over 800 pages. And Grace and I have very strong opposite opinions about it. Yeah. I will. You cannot miss next week. No. You cannot miss next week. And so for all the updates when the episode's out, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Fiverflop underscore pod. Make sure to join our Storygraph reading challenge so you can read around the world with us for season one. We also have a recommendation form in our bio if you have any books for the upcoming season, although we do have a couple planned that we think y'all will like already. And last but not least, if you have any comments, if you're the author of this book slash any other book and want to come fight us on the pod, defend your work, please do. We are open at fiverrflotpodcast at gmail.com. And until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.